Hey, chiropractors, welcome to Modern Chiropractic Mastery with your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing, business, and professional growth with some of the leading experts in the industry. Hey, docs, welcome to another episode of Modern Chiropractic Mastery. Today, I have a great interview with Dr. Chris Chippendale. He's out of the UK, outside of London, a couple of different practices there, and we just have a very insightful conversation around some of the mindset that you have, whether you're potentially under-treating your patients or undervaluing your care. And so we dive mainly into those two topics, but we have a lot of great segues and dive into uh, that thought process of being a you know patient-centered chiropractor, but not you know, undervaluing yourself, undervaluing the care plans, uh, kind of getting your own mindset in the way. Uh, it's not a woo-woo episode at all. It's just really having a good thought process on the, the treatment plans you're giving, the mindset that you should have when you're communicating with your patients. You know, we, we dive into a lot of great strategy around communication. That's, you know, just good communication, not you know, neuro-linguistic programming or playing verbal gymnastics with people trying to oversell, but how to elegantly communicate with your patients on what they should expect, how they're going to get better, and really providing a leadership role for them. And so it was a really, really good conversation we had. Before we dive into that, I want to let you know about a couple things. Uh, MCM Mastery has transformed over the last five or six months. We've really onboarded all of our clients into this and ran them through it. And we feel very good now to release it to other chiropractors. And and so now we're actually equal parts coaching and marketing production and distribution for you. So we take that off your plate. We allow you to be the talent, the subject matter expert, and we do everything else, right? We brand, edit, produce the videos. We distribute it all through social media, you know, get on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, send out your emails for you. Like really, we are your content marketing agency, but we're also equal parts, your, your business marketing, financial communication coach. And it's just been really awesome, the transition that we've made. And I also want to thank our members for going through that with us. It was, it was a need we saw for the evidence-informed chiropractors, and we're looking to take a lot off your plate so you can focus on the things that really move the needle. And this is an exciting time. It's, you know, wrapping up 2022, which is crazy to think, going into 2023. And we are launching an initiative for our members where we're calling it the 20% growth mission. And in 2023, we want to grow our revenues and our practices by 20%. 10% to kind of catch up to inflation, unfortunately, and then another 10% to have some growth. And so we are gearing our members for that. Uh, we're going to make it a an initiative. We're going to really have a strategy around it, how that looks, reverse engineer it, have a plan, and really have a, a goal to achieve that through 2023. So join us. Just check us out, modernchiropracticmarketing.com. There's an MCM Mastery tab there. There's a video there describing what we're doing. Check it out. Schedule a call with me to see if it's a right fit. We are only taking 15 new members for the rest of this year so we can uh, onboard them appropriately. And so check us out there. All right, here is my interview with Dr. Chris Chippendale. 
All right. Welcome to the show, Chris. I really appreciate your time. I know we've uh, chatted back and forth over the last few months and excited to have you on. And uh, before we dive into a, a really important topic, and I recently kind of chimed in on my Facebook group about it, kind of, uh, we're going to, we're going to, you know, tease this out a little bit for our audience. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself personally, professionally, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so thanks for having me, Kevin. It's good to be here. Um, so I'm a second-generation chiropractor, as you can probably tell from the accent. I'm based in the UK, um, just outside of London. And I I was one of the weird kids at school where I just I grew up knowing I wanted to be a chiropractor. This was back when most people over here didn't know what that was. Um, so I had a really fortunate head start with that. But for one reason or another, what I didn't really get when I graduated was much of a mentor. Um, mm -hmm. So... I knew I was lucky with the exposure working in family practice and stuff when I was younger, that communication was really key to being an effective chiropractor. But when I graduated, like the patient-centered stuff, you know, patient-centered care, ethical communication, it was talked about a lot, but nobody really could show you how to do it. All the communication training was quite outdated stuff around sort of road to recovery. Here's how to pitch the three phases of care. Here's how to you know, often with a good intention, but here's how to sell maintenance care to people. And there's a lot of folks doing, you know, talking about what I wanted to learn, but in service of a model I didn't like that mm -hmm. wasn't really putting the patient first. So I, you know, I tried a lot of things over the years and graduated, hit the ground running and, you know, built up a, a pretty good practice and pretty healthy. But I still kind of found I would go into a report of findings feeling a bit uncomfortable, worried they were going to think I was selling or, or one of those chiropractors and, you know, inevitably would end up overcorrecting or, or stumbling over things a little bit. And then it was only when I really found the idea of like patient centered care actually from outside the profession. Mm -hmm. I realized there's loads of people out there who have done a really good job talking about this stuff, but it wasn't really being brought into chiropractic. So that's when I started changing up what I was doing, doing things a little differently. And then, you know, we have associates here. I started teaching our associates that, and then other people started asking about it. So it kind of grew from there. And then the last five, six years, I've been teaching chiropractors over here, um, you know, previously live, but now more online about how to ethically connect with patients and, and put everything in that patient centered language so that they get better results. Patients are much happier, you know, more reviews and referrals. Um, but one of the biggest things that's not really talked about a lot is it's actually reduces the frustration and reduces some of the anxiety that a lot of clinicians have as well. So what I love hearing is when people learn this stuff and it's not just about, oh, my patients are getting better, but they're like, oh, I love this. Like it's, it's a much more relaxed way to communicate. It's much more comfortable. I'm not trying to convince or justify anything. Um, so yeah, for the last few years, that's been a focus of mine, but you know, I'm still in practice. I still see four patients a week. You know, we've got a team of six other chiros and two clinics here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I love the teaching and the coaching side, but I also love being a chiropractor. I, I can't at the moment see a place where I'm at where I'm not still working in the practice mm -hmm. as well. That's um, great. So I kind of got a foot in either world there, I think. Yeah, you're, you're in the trenches, which is always good. And obviously yeah. you're you're providing this level of training for your associates and, and outside of that, which is, which is great. And so, you know, I'm actually going to be recording a, a solo episode in the next week or two on a bunch of hangups that chiropractors have in regards to, you know, the other side of the profession has done things a certain way. And, and you mentioned communication. I think a lot of evidence-informed chiropractors struggle because they've seen, you know, other chiropractors really try to hard sell 
try to play verbal gymnastics with patients to convince them of these crazy long care plans. And it's this whole dog and pony show that they do. And so unfortunately, I think a lot of evidence-informed chiropractors have gone completely to the other side of the spectrum and have gone too far where they aren't communicating enough and they're not respecting that need for communication between the patient and the doctor. And it's not about, you know, neuro-linguistic programming or any of these crazy things. It's just about having really good effective communication with your patients and, and having the sometimes courage to, to do that. So can, can you speak, we're going to dive into two things in particular today, and I think they all fall into a similar category, but, but one is undervaluing yourself and then under treating the patient. So that'll be the, the framework with what we talk about today. And so let's, let's jump out of the gates with some of the communication uh, issues that you're seeing chiropractors have around this. Yeah, completely. I, and I totally agree. I think a large, one of the biggest problems the evidence-informed community have is that we've defined ourselves by what we're not. Mm -hmm. You know, we're like, we, we don't do that. We don't want to do hard sell. We don't want to do big treatment plans. We don't want to do high volume. We don't want to do vitalistic. And, you know, it's it's important. And that's how we've separated. And, you know, we've grown a lot as, as a profession doing that. But there's not been a lot of talk about, okay, so we're not this, but what are we? And that's led a lot of chiropractors, and including myself, you know, pretty much everything I've taught other chiros is based on mistakes I've made and things I've got wrong. But mm -hmm. I was the same. I didn't really know about a lot of this, this high volume, hard sell stuff. Like that mm -hmm. wasn't as big in the UK back then when I graduated. And then I go into college and all our tutors are scaring us about all these chiropractors you don't want to be mm -hmm. like. And I came out like, whoa, okay, I really don't want anyone to know I'm like that. And I just overcorrected. So I, I would undertreat people. I was afraid of recommending more than four or five visits, you know, mm -hmm. before we spaced out. And I was afraid of seeming like I was talking about a long-term plan. And yeah, and I, I see that a lot that we go, okay, big treatment plans with a hard sell are bad. So therefore we must have no treatment plans. And we'll mm -hmm. just go visit to visit and we'll see how you go. And yeah, come in next week. And it took me a while to realize that that's not patient-centered. Mm -hmm. That's that's still doctor-centered because we're putting our insecurities and our fears. And I get it. And I get yeah. why they're there. And I understand that. Yeah. But we need to be able to grow past, grow past them personally if we're going to put the patient's needs first. Because you know what? Some patients, they need a lot of care. Mm -hmm. and if they want to get where they want to be, it's going to take time. And we're being dishonest to them if we don't say at the outset, look, John, to get you there to the point where you want to be safely and stably so you can do it without worrying about this falling back. Yeah, it could take six months. No. Uh, <laughs> does that mean I'm going to tell them to schedule six months of visits twice a week right now? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, you know, I, I know you, I've listened to your episode with Mark King recently, and I think mm -hmm. that happens with adjusting as well. Yep. Like some evidence informed chiros overcorrect so much they throw out adjusting and even manual therapy and just want to do rehab yeah and it's like no, no the rehab stuff's great that's super important but we don't mm -hmm. have to run to the opposite end of the spectrum there's there's a happy place yep. in the middle where actually most patients that's what they need yeah and i like how you kind of broke it down you know and we talk a lot about being patient-centered the vast majority of your patients want to be guided they want to have a plan they want this to not only go away 
now the pain, but they don't want it to come back. And then the irony of it all is, is that a lot of these evidence-informed chiropractors, and I've said this multiple times, is, you know, they, they're movement-based or they're function-based. They love DNS and rehab, all these different things that are geared towards correcting the dysfunction per se, but then they use pain as the, uh, you know, the, the marker for release of care. And it's like, okay, they're, they're out of pain in two or three visits, but did you really fix that scapular instability that's causing the, the shoulder issue? And is this not going to just come back in two or three months? Right. Mm. So you're, you're seeing that. And I liked how you reframed it where it is more doctor centered when you're not willing to have these conversations with patients because you're, you're basically putting your psychology into the decision-making process for them. And, and ultimately it's not, uh, it's not going to have the best outcome for them, unfortunately. Yeah, completely. And it's, you know, like I say, it's, it's understandable and there's a level of wanting to be altruistic about it, but the result is still the same that, that patients don't get the care they need. And ironically, given that we call ourselves evidence informed, I think often we're not paying attention to the evidence that, you know, recurrent low back pain, like recurrent neck pain, these are things we see all day, every day. It doesn't get better in a few weeks. It doesn't just, oh, the pain's gone away. Great. I can assume I've cured them forever. Like Stu mm-hmm. McGill harps on about this a lot. He's like, you don't do the long-term follow-up. Like yeah. you don't know where they're at in three months, six months, 12 months. So, you know, you can end up with an inflated idea of how well you're mm-hmm. doing, but yeah. you're not actually paying attention to literature, which shows clearly this is often something that needs management. It's not something that's going to just disappear in four or five visits. Yeah, exactly. You know, you get the 25 year old that's healthy and they strain a calf or whatever doing it. Yeah. It's a little different animal than the 45 year old that smokes two packs a day for the last <laughs> 25 years and is 30 pounds overweight and is a, you know, a physical laborer. Like, you know, you're getting that, you're getting that better in three visits. It's going to be pretty tricky in my opinion. And that's why I like, um, I always reference Jay Greenstein on the evidence-based care to guidelines that he provides. And it's got it broken down into acute care, chronic pain patients, complicating factors, right? Like there's a lot of things that go into this decision-making process. And it's more of a, a framework that you then, put all the input into your, from your evaluation, your experience, the complicating factors, the goals of that patient, right? There's all these things you put into the hopper to develop a good treatment plan that is tailored within, within a framework. Cause I think, again, we've gone so far to the other side, the, from the other chiropractors who just have a cookie cutter three times a week for the next six months for everybody hard sell them on it. So we've gotten afraid of having any type of uh, you know, framework of care and it doesn't have to be, you got to clinically assess this patient and put in all those factors and develop a good treatment plan, but be honest. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's a discussion, you know, for me, when I'm discussing the treatment plan with a patient, it is a discussion. It's not me telling you, look, this is what we're going to do. It's me saying, look, you want to be here. My experience and you know, my training suggests this is going to take probably about this long and it's going to require this much of care and your involvement and, and changes if you want to get there as quickly as possible. That's what I'm recommending. Mm-hmm. How does that sound to you? And they could come back and go, great, let's do it. Or they might go, I'm really going to struggle with that. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, what would work for you? Let's Let's talk about a solution that I'm still confident is going to get you what you want. Otherwise, I'm misleading you. Yeah. but you can you can fit in and you know finances are an issue absolutely let's yeah. factor that in but let's not be afraid of them saying finances are an issue and then going well 
three times a week is kind of expensive. Like I'll drop that down a bit because their car looks a bit beat up and, you know, it sounds like they're having a tough time and they mentioned their spouse had just been laid off. It's like, whoa, you're just, you're judging them as being broke and going, I'll, I'll recommend some second rate care because I'm worried they'll think I'm after their money. It's like, it's, it's always... so disempowering to the patient. It's like, it's condescending. And I, I get where, it, and again, I've done it. Like, I don't, I don't mean to judge people for it, but. Um, I always it... base their treatment plan on what their key fob was. Like if I see they got a BMW, Mercedes, <laughs> like, oh, okay. Three or four times a week will do for the next four or five weeks. Right. Like <laughs> um, another story. I, tell... like, I find it's often the ones who drive the nice car and their kids come in in private school uniforms. They're the ones going, I can't afford this. Yeah. And I, I've had patients who honestly, I was like, oh man they're not going to like this who have they've done it they've stuck with everything they've come because they've gone you know what i can't afford to be out of work i cannot afford for this to stop me doing things so you know I, i've got it wrong so many times i've realized even if it was okay to do that you're still going to get it wrong and that's why like if they bring it up you know money time distance of travel i'll tell i was like look i completely understand that i have to give you my treatment recommendations based on your goals based on what i've found in valuation and based on my experience in treating this i don't want to you know factor those things in and short side you on it i understand it's real i'll let you and you know my front desk iron some of those things out but i have to you know give you a, a treatment plan with that and then another thing i talk a lot about um I don't want to assume everybody's heard it. So I'll tell a story again and I'll make it, I'll make it UK based instead of saying, if you were a football player, I'll say, if you were a footballer and you got in and you got injured, um, you know, how many times a, a week do you think that person's being, that athlete's being treated probably every day. Right. Mm. And it's like, why are they getting treated every day? Because it works and it gets them better quicker. And that's why they're doing it. Now I'm not saying you're going to treat your patients every day, but frequency of care does matter because now if you just say to yourself, Oh, well, having them come in, you know, they got, let's say they got, uh, you know, herniated disc and low back and it's just excruciating and having a really challenging time. If you're afraid of their wallet and you only tell them to come in, you know, a couple of times this week and a couple of times next week versus say three or four that week to get them out of pain quickly, like you might be delaying their pain relief by a couple of weeks. And if you actually sat down, I was like, Hey, would you rather be you know, have less, you know, pain and, and function better in two weeks or four weeks, they're going to say two weeks all the time. Right. And so a lot of times I'll tell that story to an, to a patient and they get it. Mm. And then I'll, then I'll scale it back. It's like, look, I get it. Right. You're not a professional athlete. You're not, you know, you have to be back on the soccer field in in a week or whatever, but I just want you to realize like frequency does matter and you're in a really bad situation right now. And my goal is to get you out of pain quickly and so I'll just sometimes use those little stories to frame it for them to make them realize like, look, I have your best interests in mind here, not mine. And mm. sometimes, you know, that first week or two might be a little more frequent. Then we'll cut it down. We'll reevaluate and, and, you know, reshuffle the deck here. Right. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a couple of things there that one of the things I think is really key is, is stories. Like that's, that's been a big focus for me. Um, I just I spoke at a, a conference on Saturday actually, and was the whole theme of my talk was stories. And we mm -hmm. spent a large part. I was using the Lion King as an example. It's like, look, there's the hero's journey. It's the story art people go through, and yeah. people 
they grasp stories and they understand them almost at an unconscious level, way, way easier than facts. And mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, when I discovered the pain science stuff years back and I was like, oh, right. Mm-hmm. All their narratives around pain are important. I did the 15 minute unsolicited neurophysiology lecture that lost me patience because they mm-hmm. walked out and went, I'm kind of, don't know what he was saying, but he said it was all in my head. Um, and just throwing facts at people doesn't work, but you throw in a story people can grab that and go oh now i can picture and, and really yeah. see what it's like and yeah you all we're doing if you're an ethical practitioner all you're doing is you're offering care yep. like you're not this this and i think i know the thread you sort of mentioned earlier somebody was talking about mm. feeling like i feel bad taking patients money yeah you're not you're not reaching into their pocket grabbing the wallet and going ha that 50s mine <laughs> like you're offering care and you're giving them a chance to say yes please I'll happily give you this money for that service. Or, you know what? That's not what I'm after. No, thanks. Yep. Exactly. Like that's what we do is we offer things. And that's it's a trick I found is if you're worried about, you feel like you're selling, it's just change the word to offering. Yep. And you can offer frequent care and they may go, yeah, you know, I really do want to get better as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Or they may go, I'm not sure. And they go, all right, here's plan B. And we just offer them things and see if we can find something that we're confident will get them what they want. Mm-hmm. even if it's not on the time frame that would be ideal if they can't do that and and then we see what they say and they either go yes please or no thanks and either way you can sit back and go cool i didn't have to justify it i didn't have to convince them didn't try and defend my recommendations because of my own insecurity i um, like it i like really that it. now do you have a success story of because I, I get a lot of times um people say you know some people are just born great communicators other people aren't have you worked with some chiropractors that were on more of the struggling side of naturally communicating and, and able to work with them and, and make some improvements and how that uh, impacted their practice? You know, definitely. And those are the ones I actually enjoy working with the most. Um, mm-hmm. Partly because it's I, I really love seeing the difference, but also I was quite fortunate in that I, I am naturally, I've got you know fairly good social skills. And mm-hmm. I, a lot of that was intrinsic for me. And it actually, a large part of my journey was working out how I did what I did and trying to put it in language. Like I can't do that with adjusting. Yeah, you know, yeah. I like to think I'm a good adjuster because I've mm-hmm. been out more than five years and we all do. But yeah. I tell my associates, like, I'm not great at teaching. Like, mm-hmm. I'll try it and we'll practice stuff together. But I'm also going to send you on a seminar because those guys know how to teach it. Yeah. Um, but there was one person in particular who they had they've been out in practice a fair bit longer than I had. And they'd worked through a number of different coaches mm-hmm. and, you know, had picked up bits along the way. But then we worked together. They did the first ever version of the online course I did. And he sent me this lovely email towards the end being like, man, you know, I, I listened to that one video. You were talking about transformational versus transactional relationships. And he's like the penny dropped. It's like, yeah. I get it. And suddenly he's like, everything fell into place. And something I learned from another coach fell into place. And this mm-hmm. fell into place. And he's like, the next report of findings I gave, he's like, I've never been so relaxed. Mm-hmm. Just felt at ease. The patient just accepted. Every- they went, yeah, great, let's do that. And this was someone who, they're a good Cairo, but mm-hmm. by their own admission, they had a lot of anxiety and they had a lot of fear around seeming like they're selling. Mm-hmm. and you know it was it was this one video i don't think it, it wasn't even part of the course at the time actually i just put it out on my page and he sent me that email i was like right well that's going in the course now that's yeah. if that's made a difference for somebody um but yeah it just it was getting him to sort of realize okay i'm just i'm the patient's partner like mm-hmm. we're, we're not sat across the table negotiating we're sat next to each other and we're looking at the plan and we're looking at the map and going right here's where you want to go let's work out together what's the best route for you to get you there 
That's cool. Um, but like I said, those are the ones I love the most because it, it's it's the biggest difference. Like I've worked with people who are really good communicators and mm. they just need a bit more of a framework and they need, yeah. they need an idea of how to structure it and it can still make a big difference. I love that. But yeah, it's the ones who weren't naturally born to this stuff that mm -hmm. you know I, they're the ones who i kind of lay in bed at night and i'm like man that was a good day like they yeah. really got it that worked really really well that's good i think there's another category of chiropractors that i've noticed is they haven't really sold themselves on it yet right like they they don't believe in it per se and so they have a hard time offering it even to another to another patient i think that comes from you know i think that's why it's important it, to be really good clinically like keep on improving on that. I think being very competent clinically is the table stakes for all of this. So if you, uh, you know, that's why uh, probably some young chiropractors struggle because they don't even believe yet in their clinical skill set. But the good news is for you is you will get better and keep working on it, keep improving, go to seminars. So I think step one is, is obviously having that, you know, clinical skill set. I think step two is like I mentioned earlier, really diving into what the evidence is saying about treatment frequency and duration so now you you get it you say okay yeah like i'm starting to understand complicating factors okay that person tore their acl 10 years ago now they got knee pain from running that makes sense that factors into what this treatment plan is going to be like start to really grasp that and then i think you can go into like what you're saying and feeling like even if you're not a you know a world-class communicator uh, you'll get better because now you've sold yourself on what you have to offer the patients and, and you'll have that conviction, which will then they'll, they'll see that confidence that you have, even if you aren't, you know, uh, a great orator and public speaker, you can really have a good conversation with them in dialogue, like you mentioned, and they'll believe in you. And I think that's a, a big part of the process is believing in yourself and, and what the, what your results can be. And then from there, being able to offer it to it. So uh, I'm sure you've seen some of that as well, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And again, I, I can speak to that as well. It often surprises people. And I actually, I make a point of doing this now because my wife called me out at our clinic Christmas party a few years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, I, I had big imposter syndrome when I started yeah. out and I would, I would mask it with confidence. And I was, mm -hmm. I was pretty good at that, but like, that stuff, you know, even goes back to sort of childhood. I was kind of worried about people finding out I wasn't as perfect as I tried to mm -hmm. seem and stuff. And, you know, it even comes up now. I, I I do a new talk on a new topic or I put together a new course. There's a little bit of it there. Like, are you sure? Like, you know what you're doing? Mm -hmm. um, it gets easier once you've done a few rounds. You're like, oh, yeah, that's the little imposter syndrome guy on my shoulder. Like, we'll be all right. Um, but she was talking to uh, one of our new grads. There's a couple of them, actually. And um, she's just chatting to them. And then... I just hear her go like, what? Like he hasn't, she's like, Chris, get over here. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, yeah, what's going on? She's like, have you not told them that you like had imposter syndrome and stuff when you started as well? And I was like, um, no, like, I guess not. Like I, I wasn't sure if I had or not. Mm -hmm. They were like, did you? I was like, yeah, no, of course. And she, my wife's like, why haven't you told them that? They mm -hmm. think that you've just had this nailed the whole time. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay yeah i didn't make a point of saying that so now like every time someone joins the practice or anytime mm. i'm talking to a new grad i'm like it's cool i had this too yeah no, without that, i think a lot of the time they'll just you know you see everyone else's what's the phrase like you're comparing your own gag reel to everyone else's highlights um <laughs> but it's you know and, and i 100 percent get it and it's yeah. like you say you put in the effort you put in the time those skills will get better 
Um, but it but it does take time. It's yep. there's no quick fix overnight. And and what I see now, particularly with new graduates the last few years, is they're in a real rush mm-hmm. to be like the competent clinical professional and, and make a professional income and be as busy as they want and, and have all the skills. And I love the drive, I love the determination. But this stuff takes time. Like you can't rush skill acquisition. You can slow it down and you can get in the way and you can not bother. But, you know, we, we've it's, got fantastic associates here. It's still going to take them time. Yeah. And I think that's what's important for younger docs to understand the arc of a profession, right? Like if you're a pro athlete, you are probably in your prime at 25, where, but then you're retired at 32 and, and then you got this whole life to live. Whereas, as certain high level professionals, like a, like a doctor, the arc is just different. You know, like you're, you're building that foundation and you're building a skill set. you're building a book of business, you're, you're building a reputation. And then, you know, that typically, again, this is just a, a range, but I feel like that age 33 to 53 is like that 20 year just span of uh, of, of prime for a chiropractor when done right. And obviously there's some that do it for much longer. There's some that get an earlier start at it. I get it, but you just have to be a little bit of patient work on these particular skills. All right, docs, here's a new opportunity for you from Darcy Sullivan of Propel. She is our SEO specialist in helping out many chiropractors uh, with their search engine optimization and making sure Google is finding you and getting you new patients. It's amazing how many new patients chiropractors can get and are getting when they do uh, the SEO right and a few other things. And Darcy is offering a free SEO workshop just for chiropractors. And you can sign up for that at bit.ly bit.ly slash propel MCM. That is bit.ly bit.ly propel MCM modern chiropractic marketing, right? And so check out that link. And we're going to have you go over five SEO secrets to owning the first page of Google uh, without buying ads. And Darcy's going to give that free workshop one hour to really help grow your practice and start churning new patients from the ever mighty Google, which is still king in the online marketing. So check that out at bit.ly slash propel MCM for the one hour free workshop. A lot of the skills is working on yourself. That's why I talk so much about investing in yourself. And I want to segue to the next topic because it's it's a very important one. And you talked about, you know, undervaluing yourself is a lot of times another um, byproduct of what we've been talking about for the last 25 minutes. Uh, talk a little bit about what you're seeing in, in the profession with chiropractors undervaluing themselves. Yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest barriers, I think. It's, and it partly comes from, I think most of us, you know, not everyone, but the majority of us, we get into this profession because we're, we're healers and we're fixers. We want to fix problems and we want to take a person who's, who's got a broken issue and fix that. And we're always trying to help other people. And often that comes because we feel there's something that needs fixing in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the the best case scenario, and this is what you know, I like to feel has happened with myself and people I've worked with over time, is that by working on the things that we think are broken in ourselves that usually aren't, it's mainly between our heads, but we start to realize, oh, I can overcome those myself. Now I'd love to help other people do that. But at the start of my career, personally, it was much more a case of, you know what, it's easier to fix other people's problems and 
Mm-hmm. You know, maybe when I've fixed enough people, I'll be good enough because my idea of good enough was perfect. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's yeah, completely unsustainable. Yeah. Um, and I think a fair, a fair bit of it comes from that. Naturally, there's this concept of like the wounded healer of like, mm-hmm. if you're going to heal somebody, you know, you need to have had a wound like that that you can heal yourself as well. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely shortcuts to that. There's ways of bypassing our own stuff and, and trying to get that validation externally. So I think the majority of us come into it have probably got some some drives there and some reasons why we naturally want to try and fix stuff. And at the same time, we'll undervalue what we do because we feel that we're not good enough. You know, not everyone, but a lot of people I speak to, that's going to be part of it there. I think the other thing as well is the change in the change in the research landscape you know there's been a lot of stuff published the last 10 15 years that's cast a lot of doubt on older theories on you know mm-hmm. like I, my dad was a Cairo. i talked to him now about what he thought he was doing in an adjustment and what i think i'm doing and it's you know it's it's yeah. very very different and there's been a lot of kind of you know like I get it and we there's knowledge is advancing and you know old mm. ideas that don't serve us need to die but I think there's in some areas there's been a bit too much glee in like destroying the old gods and destroying the old theories and knocking it all down without going okay what are we going to build instead mm-hmm. um like pain science for me I had this whole like it was a crisis of confidence for about six months when I came across that because it destroyed my fairly structural ideas of what I was doing and for about six months I was like well manual therapy is just a placebo it doesn't matter where i crack and i've yellow flagged everyone into needing maintenance you know and like i should probably just go and be like a rehab expert or a a physiotherapist or something and fortunately i had a mentor who kind of helped me get through that a little bit Mm -hmm. um but there's a lot of doubt being cast on that a lot of you know the traditional things that we look at chiropractic is doing there's been doubt cast there and i think a lot of people in, in my opinion are grabbing some interesting things in the research and making it dogma mm-hmm. you know we're it's it's like that overcorrecting again there are people go well there's nothing special about adjusting and manual therapy is all placebo and it's it's really just about rehab and really all you're doing is rubbing people while they get better themselves yeah. and you know if you've spent several years training to do all that stuff it's it's pretty disheartening to find out oh apparently all of that stuff's like bad or, or not effective and like I'm a I'm a bit of a heretic in like pain science circles because I I love that stuff and I it's it really has informed the way I practice and the way I teach but I I then end up disagreeing with a lot of like the the bigger people in that sphere who are going well you know manual therapy second rate to exercise I'm going oh, I don't think you can say that based on two studies with two clinicians and thirteen patients like if I was doing that to you saying here this proves adjusting can cure asthma you'd laugh yeah. me out the room yeah. um so i think the irony... this element of the research not being there's interesting stuff coming out but it's yeah. being taken as dogma um probably because i think you know you destroy the old philosophies you destroy the old dogma people still want dogma so they're going to grab and build whatever they can from the rest i think there's that need for certainty gets in the way a lot so i'm yeah. getting into the no no that makes a lot of sense too because it's something that starts to confuse the practitioner and then they start to undervalue what they're what they're doing and then you know yeah, kind of so the irony it back to yeah, yeah yeah kind of the irony with the pain science thing too is like for some reason they think these patients are going to actually do their rehab at home and, and all their at-home care 
you know, and I, I would say 10 talked about this two hours ago on a webinar. Like <laughs> yeah. um, my buddy, Stefan, he says to his patients, he's like, look, I'm going to give you exercises because the research shows people who do the exercises get better results. And then I'm going to create a treatment plan that assumes you're not going to do the exercises because the research says most people don't do them. <laughs> and if you prove me wrong, great. You won't need to see me as much. Yeah, exactly. So I could see that definitely being an undervaluing problem uh, for sure. Definitely, definitely the case as well. Um, I kind of made a little bit of a stink in my Facebook group a couple of days ago where uh, I mentioned where I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of chiropractors out there that almost have a level of shame in doing well financially. Mm. And, and I think some of that, again, is going too far to the other side as a, you know, we, I don't know if they talk about it in the UK, but we talk about the Mercedes eighties, which is yeah, like yeah. where, you know, everybody in the 1980s were driving Mercedes chiropractors were because they were making, you know, money coming out of their ears because of just the way they were doing things. And, and again, we've gone too far and we think of the chiropractor that's doing really well financially as they must be doing something wrong. And so they've got this cloud of suspicion when a chiropractor is thriving financially and there's almost like a shaming around mm. it or they feel shame themselves with making good money. And it's like, I, I think that's something that could be an underlying cause of undervaluing themselves in general. Uh, are you seeing some of that? What are your thoughts on 100%. that? Potential? And I, I would say it's probably worse in the UK because this one of the things I find refreshing talking about um, guys in, in America is that uh -huh. you're not that afraid of money. Like you'll talk about it yeah, and it's okay. And it's not. And then like, sometimes American coaches come over here and they talk about it quite openly and all the British people are like, Oh, well, that was a little bit arrogant and oh, didn't have to brag about how much he makes, you know, um, we had this, we, we took the whole team to a, a seminar a few years ago. This American coach came over, talked about how they'd publish a book and how they'd spent all this money on getting this book published. And like everybody there was like, that was arrogant. And I was trying to say to them, like, no, like he's doing it to say, this is how dedicated I am to producing a great book because well, that would probably look to certain people as, wow, that's a really good book. But we have all these hangups around it and it, it ties into old issues of class and stuff like that. But well, yeah, real quick, let me, hang -ups. Sorry. let me, let me interrupt you. I think Pink Floyd had a famous uh, line in one of their songs hanging on to quiet desperation is the English way, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very good line. That's a very good line. And it, and you know, we, we have these hangups probably worse and it's, again, we're trying to make decisions for the patient's wallet for them a lot yeah. of the time. And then we're, we feel bad about making money and we feel that, you know, it's, we assume we're going to be judged. And again, I, I had the same stuff. I get where it comes from, but it, it it's, it's doing the patients a, a disservice at the end of the day. I always say like, look, we're really lucky. We're in a profession where we get paid to help people. Yeah. So the more we get paid, the more we help people. We're not, you know, getting paid to hurt people. We're mm -hmm. not like, you know, advertising salesmen for cigarettes. <laughs> it's not yeah. like, if the better job I do in the world, the better the world benefits. So exactly. if I get rewarded for that financially, it stands to reason that the more I make, the more good I can do and vice versa. And you can game the system, but like, Anyone who's really worried about that, if you're worried about the influence money will have on your recommendations, like you don't have to worry. It's like if you worry you're a psychopath, it's like, no, then you're not a psychopath because a psychopath wouldn't worry about that. The people who are going to abuse it and put profits before people, they're not worried about that. Yeah. So if that fear is already there, that's okay. That tells you that you're on the right track. And if anything, you're going to overcorrect and you're going to mm -hmm. undertreat. And yeah, you're going to feel bad about making it a professional income. 
And it's, I think part of it comes from as well, chiropractic is a little bit weird in that you're, if you look at your hourly rate, you're like, wow, I could, I see this many patients per hour, they pay this much. Like that's a, that's a high hourly rate. And that's technically available to you when you graduate. Like you're not going to make that because your overheads are huge and you have to build up a base and you've got no reputation. So you average the hourly rate. It's going to get brought down by a lot of zeros in empty hours. But you know, you look, and I had that same thing of, wow, like how much per hour, like most other jobs, you, it's a smooth transition over time and it gradually builds up, but it's a little weird in chiropractic. We don't have that. And we come from a student mindset and a poverty mindset and suddenly going into that. And it's, it's natural. It messes with people's heads. Like I, I understand where it comes from, but it does end up affecting our care. Yeah. And I think part of it too, is like, you know, you come out of school or whatever. And if someone said you made a hundred dollars an hour, like, Oh, that's great money. But $180 an hour of capacity in a chiropractic clinic with overheads, not a lot of money. So the psychology is a little bit different. It's like, you need to make quite a bit more because you need that profit margin. And what ends up happening is when you have really healthy profits, you can then invest in a team and then you, your team is providing a better level of care in, you know, overall for your patients. So the patient experience is better when chiropractors are struggling financially. I feel like that cloud of financial stress hangs on them Mm. when, when they're even with patients and they're, they're thinking about that and it's, and it's kind of, it's, it's eating it, it's eating away at who they are. And it's hard for them to be as present with the patients as well. Whereas if things are just like, you know, everything's good, money's good. I, you know, I feel like cash confident, you know, I'm not driving a Ferrari, but I feel good about paying all my bills. And there's a little bit of left over. We can grow, we can reinvest in the practice. I, you know, my, my family has a nice life. Like when all that's happening, you can show up to work and not have that cloud of, you know, just fear around money around it. So it's very important to, to work through that. And and obviously I'm not a psychologist. (laughs) Um, I had my money issues. I grew up really middle-class and uh, you know, part of what's helped me is just continue to have the conversation with people uh, and, 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 and not be afraid to talk about it. Is that something that you recommend for chiropractors as well? Is like, you know, don't be afraid to talk about it. Oh man, talk about it. Yeah. Like, and, and the the thread you mentioned the other day, I think I, I think I jumped in there and was saying to someone like, man, the fact you came out and shared that you have these, these issues around it is yeah. awesome because that's the only way you get past it. You know, like I, I think of it, it's a lot like when you're a kid and there's a monster in the cupboard or under the bed, yeah. like that monster if the cupboards open a crack the monster's huge like it's a terrifying dragon until you turn on the light and open the cupboard and you go oh it's like a stuffed toy that was there like sunlight shrinks stuff right down and it's the same when we talk about this stuff if you don't talk about the you know the the shame or the anxiety or the issues and the imposter syndrome it grows that's why my wife called me out you know with those associates she's like it's been growing with them you haven't spoken to them about it so the more we can talk about that stuff, the better. Because mm-hmm. we all we all have our hangups and we all have yeah. issues around that. And that's okay if we're aware of them mm-hmm. and we're doing something about it. And yeah, it, it doesn't, you know, there's you can work with a professional. Maybe, maybe seeing some kind of counsel or something like that would be helpful. Maybe working with a business coach or a life coach, but maybe it's just having open discussions with colleagues about this. If if you can't do that, then it's going to be really hard for any of that stuff to change. And I 100% agree with you. I don't believe you can give your patients the best level of service mm-hmm. if you're not comfortable financially and have a buffer. Yep. Because that's the only position where if you have to be in that position, 
for somebody to come in and you, you'd be able to go, you know what, if I'm not right for them, mm-hmm. I have no barrier, no friction whatsoever to saying, I actually think you might need to see this professional. Yeah. Because if there's even like a tiny part of me that's like, well, if I turn them away, are we going to have as much as we need this month? Or like, where's the next patient going to come from? Yeah. There's going to be some friction there. And that doesn't mean you can't overcome it. But if you do, you'll probably like stick and then overcorrect. Or, you know, it, it's going to be there at some level and you can't engage and you can't listen. Yeah. And I would say if anyone who has these kind of imposter syndrome things going on, and I'm sure that's probably most of us, even if we don't talk about it, mm-hmm. one of the best steps, are, because people always ask, what do I do about it? Yeah. And that's an individual thing. And there's mm-hmm. lots of different things you can do. But I would say the more focus you can put on the patient, like if you can really listen to them and not listen to think, what am I going to say next? Or not listen Mm. to think, oh, what do I have to do because of this? But actually just really actively listen and try to understand them as best you can. Your patients will teach you more about yourself than anybody else because you'll hear them and you'll have a reaction. And if you can notice that reaction, Mm -hmm. but learn to stay engaged with them, you learn so much. It's like, oh, they said that. I I judged them a little bit there. Yeah, That's interesting. (laughs) And if you can go back and be there with the patient, but later on go, hmm, yeah, I noticed when this kind of patient comes in and they says that, it triggers a little thing in me. Like that's the spark. That's the key. That's the crack in to go, okay, maybe there's something to explore here. So it's like the, the best advice if you have social anxiety is because you think about yourself, like, oh, was I awkward? Oh, did I say the wrong thing? Oh, I bet they think I'm weird. Yep. The best way out of that is to focus on the other person, mm-hmm. ask about them, pay attention to them. It's actually the same with with chiropractic. It's the same with our patients. If you put the focus really on the patient, really listen as well as you can, a lot of this stuff, it just starts to improve. And while you're doing that, the patient's getting the best you possible. Yeah. Yeah. And you ask good questions for sure. You know, and that's, and obviously I've been talking a lot about it over the last probably six to 10 months, uh, whether it's money or the psychology of it or thriving and, and, and doing all that because I am trying my hardest to to change that narrative a little bit. And I appreciate having people like you on to provide that level of information because uh, the narrative does need to change. Um, we need more evidence-informed chiropractors doing really good uh, financially because that benefits our, you know, benefits the profession. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's going to inspire the next generation to go, wow, they delivered amazing care in yep. this awesome clinic with loads of services yep. and they're doing really well. I want to be like that. Exactly. Otherwise, yeah, they come out resentful that the ones doing well are the Mercedes 80s, like yep. old school thing. Yeah, we got to stop that. Like, well, I'm going to be poor because it's moral. It's, yeah. like it's, it's not it's really not. <laughs> exactly it's not for sure yeah. so hey chris i really appreciate your time today this was great information we'll have to have you on again in the future for for part two because there's probably like uh, many hours of conversation around this topic but um, how can our audience find more information about what you're doing for chiropractors yeah absolutely um so best way to get in touch with me is either email um We'll put it in the show notes. I did a yep. silly thing and named my company Patient Centered and Centered mm-hmm. is spelt differently in the UK. But if you email me, chris at patientcentered.co.uk, mm-hmm. that's the best place to reach me. Or Facebook. I think I'm the only Chris Chippendale in chiropractic. There's not a lot of folks in my surname. Um, so you can go to facebook.com slash patientcentered or just, I'm, I mean, I'm in I'm in your group. I'm in yep. FTCA. I'm in most of these, these groups out there as well. Um, but just shoot me a message. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm often saying to people like, yeah, I, I do this coaching and do speaking and stuff like that, but I'm actually also just a regular chiropractor and a regular guy. And like, 
I love just chatting to other chiropractors. I love hearing what other people are doing. Um, and you know, if 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 you're struggling with something, like I, I could maybe signpost you if there's someone I think could better help, or if if it's a simple thing, like I've I've got chatting to several chiros this mm -hmm. last few months, and it's just been like, hey, try this, try that. Yeah. You know, it's it's not about oh here I've got a big high volume program I can sell you or stuff like that. Like mm -hmm. there's you know there's courses and stuff out there, but the main thing is just just shoot out reach me a message like it's it's email or facebook's probably the best way there um yeah perfect well i appreciate your time today and we'll have to talk soon perfect thanks again kevin That is it for this week's episode, but before you leave, check us out at www.modernchiropracticmarketing.com for all kinds of free resources such as blogs and the podcast episodes. We've got online courses. You can check out the Chiropractic Success Academy there, which is an amazing online coaching system for you at a very affordable monthly rate. Uh, there's a free online course on the modernchiropracticmarketing.com website, so check that out. If you're interested in some one-on-one -on -one coaching, we can do that as well. We have all kinds of resources for you there, and we would also truly appreciate if you could rate and review this podcast if you're getting valuable information out of it. I can't thank you enough, and we'll see you next week.